0: Welcome to Dear Wallflower, your podcast advice column where every week your hosts will answer a letter from listeners just like you, answering the big life questions facing today's women. Make sure to stick around for our weekly recommendations on books, movies, music, lifestyle, beauty, and more. We're so glad you're here. Grab a cup of tea and come on in. Welcome, dear listeners, to this episode of Dear Wallflower. I am your host, Kelia Clarkson. I am an actress, writer, filmmaker, and the editor-in-chief of Wallflower Journal. And with me today is my lovely co-host, Jessica Schroeder. I am a writer and PhD candidate, a
1: food blogger, tea drinker, and adjunct theology professor.
0: I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us today, wherever you might find yourself. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps boost the podcast and get it in front of other people who might enjoy it and get something from it. And we would also love to encourage you to send in your own letter to Dear Wallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. We would be honored to speak into the issues that you are facing today. All right, we will get to this week's letter in just a few moments. But first, Jessica, how was your week and what's been going on in Jessica land? My week's been going pretty well. It's a little bit
1: uh, atypical at this point. I'm actually coming to you from Illinois right now, visiting my family. So um, my husband and I flew out yesterday and braved the crazy winds (laughs) in an airplane and, uh, experienced some crazy turbulence, but oh, praise be to God. (laughs) We were back on the ground again. I generally fine with flying. And and I, I don't think I was really afraid. It was more of the, wow, this is really intense. And I just want to be aware of how, how dangerous it probably really was. They were very intentional about um, how much weight was on the plane. They had 24 people volunteer not to be on the flight. So wow. when that's happening, you realize there's the math going on behind the scenes. Um, 24 but, people. <laughs> that's a but lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's like probably 20% of the flight. Don't, don't quote me. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's lovely to be, to be back in um, the area where I grew up and to be visiting, um, just beloved family members that I feel just as much like friends as they are family, which is such a gift and a blessing. so we are yeah having a just a quick quick little weekend visit and uh, spending I think a lot of time eating, which is oh,
0: typical yes. of
1: us got to have tea times in between the me- main meals
0: and you know that's yes just,
1: that's just life I
0: think. <laughs> I think that's the best part of being with people that you aren't normally with is that you all just like to eat together because that's one right, of the, it's that's one of the best things to do. Yeah, it's a,
1: it's a you be together and you do something enjoyable together. That's, yeah, that's
0: great. <laughs> it's great. Well, it's it's been a lovely week over here, and by the time this podcast episode comes out, Nathan and I will have celebrated three years of marriage. Which Ooh. I know it's it's incredible. It's also pretty surprising. I feel like that number kind of snuck up on us. Um, it feels like the three years have just flown by. Obviously, some of that feeling is due to COVID. But I guess time really does fly when you are having fun. So it's very exciting to be walking into year four of marriage and to dream about what's next and what else is in store. And it's just such a blessing to have someone to dream with and and partner with like this. And I think that's actually a really good segue into today's letter. So Today's letter covers the subject of our expectations when it comes to marriage and how to handle it when it's more challenging than we thought it was going to be. So here we go. Dear Wallflower, I am a 28-year-old woman who got married almost a year ago, and if I'm honest, I am struggling. I was led to believe my whole life that marriage is always wonderful and happy and great, that you get lost in a cocoon of marital bliss the moment you get married. And while I truly love my husband, being married has been a lot harder than I expected. I'm really glad I'm with him. I'm glad I waited for marriage and for a good guy. But at the same time, maybe it's because I wasn't super experienced with relationships before him that I had created fantasies about what marriage would be like. I was kind of in a reality shock when, after I got married, those fantasies built from movies and books and even people from church insisting how amazing marriage was all came crashing down. We fight more than I thought we would. I'm a clean person, and he's OK leaving dishes in the sink. I love to go out and socialize, and he's a homebody. I know these seems these seem like small, innocuous things, But things like that are causing more fights and frustration than I anticipated. Again, I love him and I'm committed to him, but I'm looking at the rest of my life and I don't want to feel like this forever. I guess my question is, is there hope? Does it get better? And what can I be doing to make my marriage work better? Signed, not quite blissfully married. All right, Jessica, what are your thoughts for not quite blissfully married?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, I think too many women find themselves with similar faulty expectations about marriage um, being simply a life of bliss. Mm. Our most beloved romantic stories, um, as much as they show conflict, they might show conflict in the relationship prior to the marriage taking place. They often paint the implicit picture that once our characters are married, everything works out. At least we rarely see what happens once, right? Once the pronouncement of husband and wife is made, once the ringing of wedding bells occurs, and they drive away into their life together. So, yeah, in reality, marriage is not easy. Um, but the things in life that are most difficult are also often the ones that can be the greatest gifts. I think all women in such boats as as marriage and and parenthood would agree that. Marriage and child rearing are fit, you know, fit this distinction of being both really difficult and really, really rewarding and wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now there is definitely hope, and things can get better, but you have to do the work. Think of marriage like an escalator going down. If you're not doing the work of keep uh, to keep progressing in a positive direction, in other words, if you just kind of let things coast, then things will default to going downhill. Hmm. Um, we're, we are self selfish and sinful human beings. So that's just the reality that we face, but I don't want that to sound discouraging in any way, rather than the emphasis, um, being on kind of this idea of things going downhill. If you don't do enough, um, I want the emphasis to be on the hope for things to be able to improve. If you and your husband love one another are committed to one another and both want this relationship to be marked by joy. Respect, empathy, and the like, then the wonderful news is that you not only can work through these frustrations together, but doing so will only serve to strengthen and deepen your love for one another. It's a beautiful thing, wins all around. To further address the context that our friend gives for her present circumstances, as I noted at the start, it's not a strange thing to have some level of unrealistic expectations or fantasies. I think it's quite natural and somewhat unavoidable, both, uh, both because we don't know what marriage is like until we're in it, mm. and because, like she said, media of all sorts tend to emphasize the easy aspects of marriage rather than the difficult, and not to mention that the fact that the kind of mundane or everyday things can actually be more difficult or frustrating than we initially thought or imagined. Mm. Unless we've witnessed other couples handle such things well or talked about it with others specifically... Most of us don't have much of a model for how to handle marital conflict well, uh, nor do we expect it in those little things. And let me briefly say to those um, unmarried ladies who are listening, expect marital conflict if you do get married. Uh, wherever two human beings coexist, you know, even if it's just in friendship or a work relationship, um, conflict will ensue when people are in the same space together Hmm. for both the unmarried listening and for those already married, I encourage you to seek the wisdom of those further along of their lives and their marriages. Be curious about how couples you see as having a healthy marriage have made it to that point. And spoiler alert, it's not because they never have conflict. (laughs) Trust me. They do. They just work through it in a way that is fruitful. Unfortunately, all too many of us, um, only have poor examples that we've taken in as defaults, such as the families of origin from, you know, in which we grew up. So combating both the fantasies of conflict-free marriages and the defaults of poor ways of handling petty conflicts certainly take a lot of effort to address, but it is well worth it. In order to suggest two ways of addressing um, this marital conflict, I want to to first shed light on two possible reasons that this conflict um, gets to the point that it does or to the level that it's felt. So I think that this conflict that our, our writer is experiencing is probably likely um, there first, because there are unspoken assumptions or expectations. Mm -hmm. And second, because you may not have discussed your differences and figured out how to navigate them well you know, where compromises might need to be made or how to honor one another's needs, etc. So my first point of practical advice is to address unspoken assumptions and manage expectations as a couple. We shouldn't underestimate the power of seemingly small and petty things to create tension between us and as that friction builds especially when it goes unaddressed we can find ourselves fighting about really silly things like how the silverware was put back into the drawer or whether a (laughs) towel was properly folded um And I think there's, you know, kind of tongue in cheek there. It's a little bit of personal experience recognizing that in myself. (laughs) So confession time. Um, and this point, this this actually, this point is probably the starkest takeaway from my own learnings during my nearly six years of marriage so far, we're coming up on six here. Um, and I can verify the first years certainly have their fair share of this Hmm. because you are both coming face to face with your own expectations. Um, many of which you didn't even know were there or that you didn't think to voice audibly or explain. And the second point then I want to say is discuss your differences and come to a general agreement for how to address them. Hmm. Not quite blissfully married noted at least two key differences between her and her husband's personalities. Their relative tolerance levels for cleanliness, um, at least generally speaking, and then their (sighs) levels relative levels of introversion and extroversion. And I realize that these terms are far more complex than just liking to socialize or be at home. But I sense this being the general gist of what she's saying here. I'm going to guess that these are not the only differences causing conflict or that have the potential to cause conflict. Hmm. In fact, we may even be quite surprised to learn things about our husbands once we're married to them. Dating does not present all the circumstances that marriage does and frequently we learn, and sometimes the hard way, about things that we hadn't realized before. An acquaintance of mine actually uh, once told me that she and her husband agreed upon a certain, I guess we might call it a quota of, of events that he could handle each week. <laughs> so as she was generally more extroverted and can handle you know, more time with other people and time outside of the home, um, she could agree to attending some events without him if their weekly commitments would exceed his threshold. So rather than having the risk of fighting each time another event came up, they had already had a general benchmark set Mm. um, ahead of time to help them vet and decide how to handle engagements as they arose. So I thought that was just really wise um, perspective that they were aware of that. They had already talked about it ahead of time, came to a a mutual agreement, you know, Mm -hmm. not just this, well, I'm going to tell you because, you know, what, you know, whatever reasons, <laughs> fill in the blank. Like it, this is my boundary. They, yeah.
0: But right, they agree it. to
1: the boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so important to come to that conclusion together. Um, and as another suggestion, I want to encourage our listeners to be wary of an insidious phenomenon that can happen with our perspectives toward our husbands once we're married.
0: Mm. I once
1: heard a coworker express it something like this. And this has just stuck with me. I thought it was so profound. Um what was once playful and spontaneous when we were dating turned into irresponsibility during marriage, or what was once cute and funny became annoying and childish, or what was once generous and thoughtful becomes, oh, that's spendy or that's thoughtless. So I think you're probably getting the picture here. It's <laughs> it's not that the person that we love has changed. Our perspective on their behaviors has changed, and that can be mm-hmm. very dangerous Um, I'm not claiming that either all of the perceptions during the dating years were more accurate than those that come after or or during marriage or vice versa. Rather, I want to point out a tendency I think we all have to passively allowing our perspectives to shift without intentional reflection. Perhaps it was the novelty of those qualities that initially drew our admiration, but once they seem commonplace to us, we tend to kind of change our minds and feel differently about them. So be wary of this. It can be so corrosive. Hmm. Uh, while there are certainly things that we will need to discuss with our husbands and they'll need to discuss with us, there are also likely feelings that will rise up within us that we need to address simply within ourselves before God and recognizing, um, recognizing that and asking for his grace to help yeah. us to see clearly you know, where is it that our selfishness is maybe getting in the way or, or some kind of um, internal issue. And a caveat I want to provide to everyone who's listening is that quote fighting can take lots of different forms. Um, Based on what I thought of as fighting coming into marriage, my husband and I have hardly ever fought, if Mm -hmm. ever. I mean, I guess it depends on what we think of as fighting. In my mind, fighting was angry shouting and door slamming. Um, However, we certainly have our had our fair share of what I might call tiffs. You know, where we get frustrated at one another and get annoyed and maybe have trouble talking for a little while until we kind of cool off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm meaning to say here is that fighting doesn't have to look like an aggressive um, shouting battle or a firefight. It can take the form of silent treatments um, or passive aggressive actions or aggravated glances. The point here is that the presence of tension and conflict between husband and wife, however it manifests, is something that's a reality and we need to be able to notice how it's going to manifest for us. And just recognize that your quote fighting, you know, might look different from another couples, regardless of, of what it looks like. Um, you very well may need to have things to discuss with one another. Now, overall, I want to encourage not quite blissfully married. Don't sweat the small stuff, but at the same time, do talk about the small stuff enough To gain understanding, respect, and empathy for where the other person is coming from. You can explain to your husband why his act of leaving dishes in the sink is so frustrating for you. In turn, then, allow him to explain why he feels okay with doing so. Most of the time, there is much more going on under the surface. It's rarely just about the fact that a dish is in the sink. Yeah, It's about what that action means, right? I, I, you're getting it because <laughs> uh, you, you know from experience. It's about <laughs> what the action means or communicates. So for example, to you, this action might mean he doesn't care about all the work I do to keep the home neat and tidy, or Mm -hmm. he's not helping out or doing his share, et cetera. And these are probably things that are not true. You know, these may be unfounded conclusions that we can jump to. Um, but it still helps us to see that there are particular fears or assumptions operating under the surface. So getting to the root of them can help us to root them out. Hmm. Again, don't sweat the small stuff, but do choose, where to do the work of digging a bit deeper to see what is going on for each of you. So there is hope and you can have a wonderful marriage. Just recognize that you're both going to need to work at it. This work as grueling as it may feel at times is incredibly well worth it and will bring you greater joy and satisfaction as you grow in maturity and love for one another on this journey together.
0: Mm. Those are all such wonderful points, especially, um, as you said towards the end, getting to the root cause. I have a friend that um, they like to say it's not about the light switch, and what they mean is, I think this is a universal universal experience that we've all had. That you know, our dad gets home and he is just so upset. Why are all these lights on? People need to turn lights out. Why does no one know how to turn lights out in this family? <laughs> and. <laughs> And we go, oh my gosh! Like he's just throwing a fit about lights. You know, it's not about the light switch, though. It's about this person. You know, maybe they're coming home from work a- after a long day, and and they've been working so hard to pay the bills, and they they're seeing their money disappear, and 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 they can't handle, you know, just one more thing added onto the list of that this hasn't gone as it's supposed to go today. It's never about the light switch, you know. So Mm -hmm. that's such a good point to, um, to get to the root cause, you know, I think that really is so helpful when, when you're trying to figure out how to, how to be married, you know? Um, I, I first want to assure a writer that there is in fact hope and it can get better with a lot of intentionality. So I agree that there is a lot of messaging surrounding marriage that is one of toxic positivity. And I think it comes from a well-meaning place, especially when it comes to church, as you mentioned. Um, I think the church wants teens and single adults to be excited for marriage and to have a high view of it. Because the reality is we see a lot of voices in culture that treat marriage like it's silly and outdated and just a piece of paper or others that say it'll keep you from being fun and independent and being happy. And so the reaction to that is to talk marriage up. But the issue is that this can often create really An unrealistic image of what marriage truly is for those who haven't yet taken that step. And this can be equally as damaging as saying that marriage is either meaningless or will keep you from being happy. And the unrealistic expectation of marriage, um, you know, that it'll always make us endlessly happy and. And all of that is reinforced by what is known as the honeymoon phase, which is a period in the beginning of a relationship and oftentimes a marriage that just feels like bliss. It's this time when so many things about this person are new to us and it's like they can do no wrong. As Jessica said, it's something that was funny. You know, when you were dating, it ends up being irresponsible once you're married, right? So the honeymoon phase typically lasts anywhere from six months to two or three years. And once it draws to a close, suddenly there are things about your significant other that you go, why does he do that? Or why is he like that? And you start to realize that they're not this perfect fantasy person. And suddenly all the voices that tell us how amazing marriage was and how perfectly in love we would always feel start to feel like lies. And the truth is that marriage is a union between two very imperfect people. You're trying to meld lives and cultivate a new life with another person. And because we are all immature and fallible and have frustrating habits and personality things, marriage is going to be a lot harder than you thought. And it's going to be a challenge. And this doesn't mean that we can't learn how to make it work better. But If we take a look at the purpose of marriage, many will say its purpose is to make us happy and fulfilled. And those are certainly a part of marriage. You should be happy and fulfilled in your marriage. But one of the main purposes that God created it with was to make us better, less selfish, more whole, more giving, more mature, more in control of ourselves and our emotions And more holy by loving and being loved. I believe that this is a better perspective to approach marriage from. It's not meant to serve you in the sense of satisfying your every whim and need, but instead, it's meant to create a more holy person. I want to quickly say that being married is not the only way to become less selfish and more whole. It's just a really effective way to do that, (laughs) should we be willing to approach it that way. So getting into some practical stuff for our not quite blissfully married writer, I think it's important for our writer to hear this and for everyone to hear this and myself. (laughs) You're frustrated with some of your husband's habits and personality things, and he is most likely a bit frustrated with yours as well. I say that because I know it's really easy to look at everything that the other person is doing or not doing and just let it stew and build up and fail to look at ourselves and consider how we might be difficult to live with or simply annoying sometimes for our spouse too. So I think a practical thing that will be helpful is to think about all the things that you do love about your husband as well. What made you fall for him in the first place? Because I think these qualities are sadly really easy to forget when we're in the trenches and feeling like we will never be happy in this marriage. It's easy for us to hyperfocus on everything that's wrong, but I want to encourage you to keep a list, whether it's mental or in your journal, of the things that you love about him and keep adding to it. If he says something funny, go write it down. I have a note on my phone that I started about a year ago of all of the funny things that Nathan has said. And every once in a while, I will go back and just read through them and start cackling. And it just, it makes me love him so much more. So if he says something funny, go write it down. Or if he plans a date that's especially memorable or made you feel really loved, write about it. Cultivate a posture that's ready and able to see all that is good and beautiful in your marriage. And this even looks like learning how to value the things that he offers that you hadn't valued before. Maybe mm-hmm. he's helped you learn how to let loose and relax more often, or how to laugh at yourself sometimes. This is what my husband Nathan, in the few years that we've been married, helped me learn how to value. We really are so very different. He's gregarious and outgoing and always has a joke, and I can be pretty serious and guarded. And he's taught me how to value being open to change and how to have a lighter heart. Another thing that's been really healthy for us in our marriage is that we've built a really strong friendship. Being able to laugh together and hang out together and connect on a level of very deep friendship will help the rest of your marriage not just become healthier, but it will sustain you through the more challenging seasons of marriage that will inevitably come along. So I would suggest investing very deeply in the friendship of your marriage. Plan dates that both of you will love. Discover new mutual likes and interests that you have. Stay emotionally connected through long, how are you doing talks and check-ins. And on another point, I think it could be really helpful for you two to find a couple's counselor. I really think this is healthy for all couples. Marriage counselors aren't only for marriages that are messed up or falling apart. It really makes all the difference in bettering your communication and understanding of of each other. And if that's not in the budget, because it's not for many people, try to find a couple just a little bit older than you. And ask them to meet or even just meet with the wife in the couple to meet for coffee. Because it's helpful to have people who've walked the same path that you're on, who will be able to speak from wisdom and experience to pour into you and let you know that you are not alone, that you're not the first person to wonder if marriage is ever going to get easier. And just another couple of ideas to wrap this up consider listening to a marriage or relationship podcast every week or working through a marriage workbook together. This can help foster a marriage where both of you are working towards bettering the relationship and not just one of you. And working together will obviously help to improve the marriage's health on a grander scale, but it also serves as a means for you both to set aside focused time to connect every single week or however often it's possible for you. Rhythms make up a marriage. So creating a rhythm that is specifically meant to build into your marriage will be really beneficial. And lastly, I'll say that anything new takes time to get used to and to get good at. Like a pair of new shoes They take time to mold to your foot, to break them in, and they might be uncomfortable at first, and then they might become your favorite pair. So just a year into marriage, none of us are great at it yet, even if we really love our spouse. So give yourself time to find your footing and get into a groove. To strengthen a marriage, it really just takes two willing people to put in the work. I hope we were able to speak into your situation today and that you're able to offer some insight that was helpful to you. And now it is time for our maybe suggest segment of the podcast, where we suggest to you the things that we have been reading, watching, eating, or wearing this week that made us really, really happy and filled with joy. Everything we suggest will be linked in the description of this episode for you to check out. So, Jessica, what is your suggestion this week?
1: May I suggest um, one of my favorite musicals, and I think it's probably not very well known, which is one reason I'd like to suggest it. It's called Daddy Long Legs. It has nothing to do with spiders, so fear not. (laughs) Daddy Long Legs is a wonderful, just beautiful, charming, witty, heartwarming um, musical, And uh, it's available, I believe, through Broadway HD. That's the only way I think I've been able to watch it in the past. So um, there may have a free trial. Sorry, I didn't check yet. But um, it's the kind of thing that you could just pay for a month. Or I think sometimes maybe through Prime you can get it. But search for Daddy Long Legs through Broadway HD. It takes place in the early 20th century. And I'm not going to give away too much too here, just a little bit to kind of pique your interest. It's a, about an orphan girl who gets the opportunity to receive a college education. And it has themes of thirst for and delight in learning um, and experiencing the world. And it's also a delightful love story. And one last interesting bit about it: it is a two person musical. Mm. So it's just it has so many fascinating qualities and it's so wonderful. Um, it always just warms my heart and makes me laugh, and it feels so satisfying
0: to watch. So I highly recommend it. Daddy Long Legs, mm, a two-person musical. Normally, there's quite a few characters, and if I'm not mistaken, um, isn't it based off of a book? Or am I wrong? It about- is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because I was, you introduced me to Daddy Long Legs like months ago at this point, and then I was reading a um, synopsis of some book, and I was like. Shh. Sounds like Daddy Longlegs to me, <laughs> but the name of the book escapes me. I'm sorry, everyone, but um, that's okay. Me too. <laughs> I haven't read it. We'll save sorry. it for a maybe. Suggest maybe sometime. <laughs> um. So my suggestion this week is for all the literature lovers out there, and that is not a book, but it's a book print scarf from an Ooh. online store called Story Arts. Because it is that time of year when everyone is pulling out their scarves and just trying to get warm. So um, a few years ago, my sister got me an infinity scarf from this seller. And on the scarf, they had printed a few pages from a literary classic. And it's just such a beautiful scarf. And I always get so many compliments when I wear it. And the great thing about this, do you story, know which book it is? Um, she got me one that was with Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> oh, oh! Yeah. I have a very good friend who would love that. Yeah, well, <laughs> Christmas is around the corner. <laughs> Um, but the great thing about this store is they actually have so many different book scarves, so you can probably find your favorite classic. They have um, Pride and Prejudice, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Secret Garden, Little Women, The Little Prince, just to name a few. Marvelous! Yeah, so many options, and they've had they've gotten so much more like since the last time I looked as well. It's very impressive. Uh, And I think the the material that they're made of is really, really nice, and it's thick, so it'll definitely do its scarfly duties. It's not just for looks. (laughs) So if you are – It's very important. Yes. Yeah. No, honestly, it really is. Um, So if you're a literature lover and you're in the market for a new scarf for the fast-approaching winter weather, may I suggest a book print scarf? So, to wrap up this episode, before we go, Jessica, how can listeners get in contact with you and check out what you are up to?
1: Listeners can find me on my food and lifestyle blog, thisrealjourney.com, and on Instagram at
0: Jessica J. Schroeder. if you want to get in contact with me, you can search my name on any of the socials and reach out. And of course, check out Wallflower Journal. We have new articles coming out every single week about relationships, beauty recipes, personal stories, and so much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Wallflower today. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can send your letter to Dear Wallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. Every letter we read will be kept totally anonymous. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.